Hey guys, Hide and Seek is now on Patreon. If you'd like to learn how to support the work we do, please visit www.patreon.com backslash Hide and Seek Podcast. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive rewards. Rewards include live events, early access to video trailers, ad-free episodes, never-before-seen videos, behind-the-scenes video and photo content, along with extended and never-before-heard interviews. My team and I would be honored to have you. Again, visit patreon.com backslash hide-and-seek-podcast. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed by guests on the Hide and Seek podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or positions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Would you like to take a more active role in the Hide and Seek community? Would you like to share your thoughts with other listeners? Join us in the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Material heard on the Hide and Seek Podcast is intended for adult listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Sweet dreams are made of this. 24-Hour News Aid's Brady Gillum went to Sturgis tonight to speak with the missing woman's mother about what may have happened to her daughter. I can tell you where she most likely is. I hadn't seen anybody that I felt comfortable saying anything to until today. The stories they tell are pretty fucked. They're pretty freaking gruesome. I kept... All the text messages, Facebook messages, the messages between me and Brittany, I have all of them. I have everything. I told myself I'd kill all them motherfuckers, and I was going to have my people fucking take care of it. I'll just say Brittany's name out of nowhere just to see what somebody says. Because this little town around here would be hard to hide something like that. Because eventually everything comes out. Some days I don't believe anything happened to her. I think she's in slow. This is Hide and Seek, Season 3, Part 3. The final chapter. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys, as usual, we'll do a brief recap of last week's episode before we get into today's very interesting episode. Last week, we reminded everyone that we still hadn't seen a pic of Ashley and her best friend, Brittany, together, but our patience paid off in another area. We were optimistic that Ashley and Brittany's full conversations would finally make their way to us, and they did. We have those conversations, or at least a version of those conversations. We decided to leave it up to Ashley to share them, but made sure we offered her a method of confirmation, so there was no doubt in her mind that we had them. Since she is somewhat predictable, and I figured she'd say that we didn't have them, I offered her to name a timestamp, and I'd be happy to tell her what the convo says. 
Also in last week's episode, you heard Sarah and I discuss the screenshots Ashley had a friend post earlier this year of Eric's Google location. If you didn't hear this, pause now and go back to episode 41. I want to make it clear. Ashley told me Eric never had his Google location on. Now until early 2023, Ashley was able to track Eric's whereabouts on November 30th, 2018. That's quite convenient since the screenshots purport to show his location between 8.34 p.m. and 2.09 a.m. They claim Eric went to Bolin Tire around 1.08 a.m. to put air in Ashley's tire. 1.08 a.m. Hmm. If you're like me, you're probably wondering what the crisis was that required air in the tire at that hour. There's a lot about the Google location pics that make me less than comfortable. I reported in the last episode that I spoke with a representative from Spark, a company owned by Brickhouse. They're a provider of security and surveillance solutions since 2005. Spark GPS units are small tracking devices made with the intentions of tracking vehicles. Now for the most part, their units are magnetic, waterproof, and require a monthly subscription. Subscriptions allow you to track a vehicle, or whatever you choose to attach the unit to, all over the US through an app on your phone via web browser. In her own words, Ashley says she had a Spark GPS unit in her vehicle. If you had an account with them at one point, the record of that account will still be stored with them. I inquired as to what services were available to a subscriber. For example, could an account holder with an active subscription download their GPS tracking history? The answer was yes. The subscribers could download the tracking history at any point. I find it almost unbelievable that someone who has backups upon backups of information, much of which could be considered frivolous, wouldn't have downloaded information that has the potential to be extremely important to Britney's case. This information could help pinpoint the origination of the gas receipt. Since Ashley says she came into possession of Britney's receipt after JJ stole her vehicle, the GPS history could help narrow down the movements in the day before and after Brittany disappeared. In fact, if I was Eric, and I was tired of being talked about and having my name dragged through the mud, as he says he is, I'd be doing everything I could to convince my friend to hand over the GPS history. Before we proceed, I'd like to revisit a piece of evidence that has been looming large over this investigation. Ashley pointed out what she believes to be the most damning evidence against Daniel Walters. This evidence comes in the form of a voicemail left on Jessica's phone on November 30th at 8.58 p.m. To provide some context, Daniel Walters has been a name that comes up repeatedly during the course of my investigation. And Ashley was the first to assert the significance of this individual in relation to the voicemail. Here's a snippet from my nearly four-hour conversation with Ashley. The way it came together, I have some divine intervention, the way this shit happens for me, but I ended up taking over Jessica's accounts. Probably the most damning piece of evidence in my possession right now, from her account, from the moment Britt went missing, a voicemail to her from Daniel Walters saying, you won't like my next move. The very moment she went missing. 8.58 p.m., November 30th, 2018. Everyone, if you say Daniel, we're all going to say Keltner. It wasn't until Britt's birthday that this woman messaged me. She said, I'm sorry it's so late, but can I ask you a question about Brittany? She said, the Daniel they were talking about in the voicemail. 
That's Daniel Walters, right? I said, no. Um, Keltner also goes by Cage. And she goes, no. The voicemails where she's threatening Brittany, where she says, I'm not going to threaten you with Daniel. Well, yeah, I am a little. She's referring to Daniel Walters. First off, you destroyed yourself. You are a toxic waste. Secondly, no, I'm not going to threaten you about jail. I'm not going to threaten you about Daniel. I am kind of threatening about Daniel. But, um, you... I said, who is Daniel Walters? Because there's a Daniel that she was dating that I got to experience when I was in Detroit with her. I said, oh, my God. Because she said voicemail. What she was referring to was Facebook messages. But I freaked out because two days prior, I had found that voicemail for the first time. No one knew. So I said, what what voicemail are you talking? Like, the reason I ask, and I told her, I said, holy shit, would you know his voice if you heard it? She's an ex of this dude's. That's why she knows so much and how dangerous he is. She said, yeah. I, said, I sent it to her. She goes, that's him. I said, holy fucking shit. Maybe Jessica did tell Chris Brittany was going to meet Daniel. She never gave a last name, so maybe she wasn't lying. Maybe it was Walter's. Because three hours prior to the voicemail of him telling her, if you don't get a hold of me, you're not going to like my next move, left at the very time Britt was last seen ever. Three hours before that, he sent her one screaming at her, saying, you better not be fucking playing with me. I swear to God, I will fucking find you. This dude is off his rocker. So who is Daniel to Britt? I'm still learning about him. No one knows about this dude. No one. When I was in Detroit with her just this last summer, she was locked out of her accounts because of him. The messages from him, he would go from she's his world to you're going to pay and I will make you suffer slowly. Like, dark shit. The theory, I guess, that's all it can be right now that makes the most sense, she's threatening Brit with Daniel. Has she been able to ever point out to you a visual Facebook page of this Daniel Walters? I've met him. Oh. So this he's is. He's absconding right now because he's looking at life in prison. <laughs> he was wanted in Branch County. He was looking at life. He's a habitual offender in Michigan. He had stalkerware on her phone. And I today, out on the boat, I said, oh my fucking God. My boyfriend said, what? I said, Britt told me. Before she went missing, if anything happens to me, it was Daniel. The fuck if she meant Daniel Walters? She never said, and we never knew. No one knew. Does Daniel Walters match the description? I don't know what he looked like. In 18, the height matches. He's got dark brown hair now. I don't know what it was then. I sent a picture of him to Scott, Brittany's uncle. I told him what I found, told him about the voicemail, and I sent him the picture. Show it to your boys, show it to your mom. Because I'm still thinking and hoping, even after two years, it's in there somewhere. And if they just see it, the, the correct face, it'll trigger it. Or if they hear the voice or something, it'll trigger it. Like, they have to either know something or are being kept quiet. Now, according to Ashley, in 2021, just days before we speak, she received some crucial information from an ex-girlfriend of Daniel Walters. 
This ex-girlfriend claims to have heard the shared voice messages between Brittany and her mother, Jessica, on Facebook Messenger. These voice messages were posted and shared because Ashley felt it was necessary to share with Scott, Brittany's uncle, and Greg, Brittany's father. Greg took to Facebook to express his frustrations towards Jessica. In the voice messages, Jessica makes threats against Brittany, specifically mentioning a Daniel. Ashley's account complicates the narrative further, but it also clarifies something important. When the name Daniel was mentioned before, everyone assumed that it was Daniel Keltner, also known as Cage. But now, we have a reason to question that assumption. How often do preconceived notions hinder the progress of a criminal investigation? And what does it take to break free from those cognitive traps? Do the legwork. As we know, in the beginning, Ashley had been quite forthcoming. While she did take over Jessica's Facebook account, she made it clear that the voice messages between Jessica and Brittany are hard to discern. Recorded on October 30th, 2018, these exchanges between mother and daughter are troubling, to say the least. And let's not forget the voicemail Jessica received on November 30th, 2018 at 8.58 p.m., which remains a focal point of this investigation. The voice, the timing, and the content of that voicemail continue to weigh heavily as we seek answers. Today, we push further for those answers. Whether it's the involvement of Daniel Walters or the puzzling dynamics between Jessica and Brittany, we're peeling back layers to get to the core of this mystery. And as we navigate through the labyrinth of this case, it's important to reiterate something that Ashley revealed. She claims to have received a message from an ex-girlfriend of Daniel Walters. Now, in any investigation, especially in matters this grave, it's imperative to cross one's T's and dot one's I's. To this end, we've reached out to this woman for confirmation. We're seeking to verify that she did, in fact, contact Ashley in 2021. This isn't just a formality. It's a vital part of painting an accurate picture. Now, you may ask, why is speaking to the ex-girlfriend so crucial? Here's why. The voicemail that Jessica received, the one Ashley believes was from Daniel Walters, is still active. But here's where things get perplexing. I've done some digging on that phone number and it doesn't belong to Daniel Walters. That's right. The number is registered to another individual entirely. While this development certainly adds more confusion, it's worth noting that in any thorough criminal investigation, discrepancies like these are not necessarily roadblocks. They could very well be the signpost pointing us in a direction we hadn't previously considered. As baffling as this is, it reinforces the need for a rigorous investigation. No stone can be left unturned. No lead can be taken at face value. The search for truth in this case is far from over and we've seen the twists and turns are both unpredictable and unavoidable. Early on, we talked about a voicemail. Was able to show you when I was over there in Sturgis. I don't know if you remember, it was at the campsite. I do. Landon Ledford, he was somebody that you worked with, or he worked for you, 
there was a dispute. Eventually, he started calling and leaving some pretty rough voicemails. There was also another voicemail, though, that Ashley was very determined that it was a person by the name of Daniel Walters. I'm going to play the voicemail of what Ashley claims is Daniel Walters. Once I play it, then we'll talk about it. Three different voicemails. I'll play each one. Voicemail one. Hey, get all of me here soon. All right. Step. Voicemail two. What the hell is going on here? I hope you ain't playing fucking games with me. I swear to God, I will, I will find you. And there's three. You ain't gonna like my next move, I'm telling you. You better get a hold of me. So that voicemail, the last one where he says, you're not gonna like my next move, you better get a hold of me. Uh-huh. That one's on November 30th at 8.58 p.m. Okay. Do you recognize who the voice is? Man, you know, it sounds like Daniel Walters. Um, but both of them rant rave like that. But it, it definitely, between him and uh, Leonard Ledford, but um, it definitely sounds like Daniel Walters to me. So how confident that it is Daniel? Probably 90% confident that it's Daniel. Like I said, they both rant rave the same way. So I'm probably 90% sure that's Daniel Walters. I haven't heard, I haven't talked to either one in so long since then. You know, if I'd heard Leonard's voice and then Daniel's voice, I could definitely, if I heard, you know, both of them, you know, pick out which one it was for sure. But not having talked to them for so long, I I am not 100% confident on that. Okay, do you know what he's talking about that night? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure it is over the job, you know, both of them sucked at their job. It cost me a whole, whole lot more money. So Daniel Walters, he's somebody that worked with you as well? He worked for me, yeah. What about a gentleman by the name of William Bingo. William Are you, would he have gone by Bill? Yeah. He is an old, old, old friend of mine that I haven't seen or talked to since probably 2019. Just an old friend of mine. Let me pull up, I can pull up a Facebook. He's probably 10 years older than I am and mustache, beard, a little bit, not a whole, not a full beard, but let me pull him up. Gosh, I haven't heard that name in a long time. This is an old, old, ostentious um, profile. And mind you, that's a very old picture of him. It's not, he had about 20 years on that. That's him. Yep. Okay, so what's your relationship with this guy? Uh, it's just, a, he's an old friend. I've known him for since I was young, like 20, my early 20s, probably. Associate in town, or somebody that you rub shoulders with in passing, like nothing beyond that? Uh, we've all, I mean, he he was, um, gosh, how did I meet him? I don't even remember, but I was in my early 20s when I met Bill. Did it get physical with you guys? No, never. Mm-mm. The phone number that calls you, that that voicemail comes from, that's actually William who called you on November 30th. Listening to what he had said, get a hold of me, trying to get a hold of you, where you at, you're not gonna like my next move. Why is he saying that? I don't know, maybe he got the wrong, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know, I don't remember that call like that. 
it could have been drug related. Like he may have got some drugs or something. That's what I'm thinking. I, I mean, that's what I'm looking for is just to figure out like what was. Yeah, I think that if it play it again for me, James, please. Because it could be. I mean, it, yeah, it definitely could be. But I mean, regardless, as it's irrelevant to Brit. I promise to God, it is. You ain't gonna like my next move. I'm telling you. You better get a hold of me. Absolutely. Yep. This bill. Yeah. Drug related, probably. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I remember exactly what it is. Mark, who's dead now. He um. He'd gotten some stuff from from Mark, and Mark Mark hadn't produced. He gave Mark the money, and Mark hadn't produced it for him yet. That's what it was. Okay, so that's what Bill's contacting you for, though? Yeah, Mark and I were friends, and he he met Mark through me. Was it like you and Mark going in and together on something, and then he's like, I'll no. go? No. Bill was looking for some shit, and, and Mark had it, and so I hooked the two of them up. I don't deal with all that shit. I'm like, just deal with it, you know? Mark was in the midst of getting it, and Bill was getting impatient and had his money to a little too longer, longer than Bill wanted him to have it. So I'm going to reach out to Bill. He goes by Bill, but William. James, tell him, say, I mean, just so he'll tell you the truth. If he wants to confirm it with me, like, give me a call or whatever, you know, get, give him my number. I don't give a fuck, you know, just tell him to call me or whatever. I mean, are you sure he's going to worry? I haven't talked to him in years, so I don't know how he is. I don't know if he's all paranoid and schizoid. I don't have no idea, but just let him know that he probably is going to think that you're going to tell on him for drugs or whatever. So just... You know, just let him know if he needs to, you know, confirm that it's okay to talk to you or whatever. Just to give me a call, because he's definitely old school and he's definitely not going to want to, you know, like divulge, you know, divulge information that's going to incriminate him. You know. Did Bill front the money? Yeah, Bill gave him the money up front. Yep, yep. And I'll, I'll leave a message, Bill, in a minute here. So he's still a friend of my friends list. I, I just noticed it. So when I pulled him up, he's still a friend on there. I haven't talked to him in years, but I, I will definitely, you know, message him and be like, hey answer honestly or whatever, you know? Yeah. Jessica was unaware who left the voice message on the night Brittany disappeared. Leonard Ledford and Daniel Walters both came to mind since she had disputes over work with each of them. Eventually, I bring up Bill R. After a brief discussion, I play his messages again and Jessica confirms those messages are indeed him. She says she hasn't talked to Bill in ages, but sends me the number she has for him anyway. This is a change of pace. Someone who has held on to a number longer than 15 minutes. Hello? Hey, is this Bill? Yes, it is. I'm reaching out because you're friends with a girl by the name of Jessica Rolf. Uh, Jessica Rolf? I don't know. She's the woman whose daughter went missing, Brittany Shank. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Has anybody ever talked to you about a voicemail that you may have left Jessica on the night her daughter went missing? She was here helping me paint the walls the night her daughter. She left when she got the phone call and she said nobody's heard from her daughter in two or three days. 
Oh, so you were working with her when they contacted Jessica? Contacted her, yes. Yes, she was at my house working. She was helping me. She was reported missing on December 8th. And so on December 8th, when Jessica's over at your place working, she gets the call. That's on. That's in December. But Brittany actually didn't go missing until uh, November 30th. Okay, yeah, because she said there was a couple days. Uh, there's a voicemail I wanted to play for you. It was a voicemail that you had left Jessica, and I was just hoping to see if you can give it a listen and what was happening when you left Jessica this voicemail. Now, there's going to be three different ones that I play for you. These all take place on November 30th, 2018, and the first one is at 2.11 p.m. So I'm going to go ahead and play it for you real quick. Hey, get all of me here soon. All right, stay up. Here's the second one. What the hell is going on here? I hope you ain't playing fucking games with me. I swear to God, I will I will find you. Last one. You ain't gonna like my next move, I'm telling you. You better get a hold of me. Those were left on Jessica's phone the night that Brittany went missing and this information... I was mad at her. She was supposed to be here. And she wasn't here. And I was telling her that I was going to fire her. The phone cellular connection is breaking up. Can you repeat that? Oh, I said I was getting ready to fire her because she was supposed to be here that day. I was mad. So you recall specifically what that memory and what's going on? Yeah, I remember exactly that phone call because I was mad at her just before that. And then I... Then she came here, and she was here for two days, and then she told me that her daughter come up missing. And then she had left. And when she come back and told me that she was sorry, that she was blah, blah, blah. She was not the other thing to do, I don't remember exactly, but... Yeah, she was working for me, painting my house. I had paid her prior to, but I was mad that she wasn't here when we were doing, when the painting needed to be done. That's exactly what that was about. And do you know who Brittany, her daughter is? Do you know, have you ever met her, interacted with her? I've never really met her or talked to her. I mean, I might have when she was way young. Because me and Jessica go back 20, 30 years. But no, not as an adult, I didn't really know her. I tried to help Jessica find her. She called me up one day and asked me if I'd go scuba dive in that river. And I told her I would. I had to get my air tanks filled. And she uh, was dropped at that. So you never ended up going to do the, to work the river? No, I never did. Okay, so that voicemail has nothing to do with Brittany. I'm just going to put it out there just so I'm very direct with it. Had nothing to do with the no. It was it was because it was because I was mad at Jessica for not being here when I had already paid her for being here. 
Do you remember what kind of work she was doing for you that she was supposed to be? Yeah, she was painting. She was painting my walls. Yeah, because I just put new drywall in. Yeah, because after I found out that his daughter, you know, I kind of felt bad about leaving them messages. Did a girl by the name of Ashley ever contact you about that? Uh, not that I'm aware of. They have a voicemail, not a voicemail, but a disappearing text on my uh, Facebook one time. And somebody I didn't know, and I told Jessica about it, that they asked if anybody had checked the lake down in Indiana where she used to live. Because I put a reward, I put a reward out on Facebook for her daughter. I don't know if you knew that or if she told you that. No, how much? I didn't say. I didn't say a reward price. I just said I will, I will offer up a reward for any work, any information about her whereabouts. And disappearing text. I don't, I can only remember the name of the person anymore. Facebook, they text me directly and the name was something, it was on Facebook, the disappearing text. Do you think you'd still be in your conversation history? No, because it disappeared. But the profile that it was from? No. I doubt it. I doubt it. Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know that much about computers or whatnot. And the text, what did it say specifically that it, she was in uh, Lake in Indiana? It said, did anybody check the lake where she used to live in Indiana? I got off from it and I got a hold of Jessica and I told her that somebody with that name and I told her the name I didn't know who it was it wasn't even on my friends list it appeared and then I went back to it and it was gone said, did anybody check the lake where she used to live in Indiana? Bill informed Jessica about this message, but oddly enough, this message vanished before he can investigate further. It appeared and then I went back to it and it was gone. After I speak to Bill, I reach back out to Jessica to fill her in on the details of my call with Bill. She's a little caught off guard at Bill's explanation of the voice messages. She says she believes Bill is trying to avoid telling me what the voice messages were actually about. She explains to me that Bill's an older guy and doesn't really want to get wrapped up in trouble. So she thinks he didn't tell me that the messages were actually about her friend making a deal with Bill for narcotics. Eventually, the deal is made right, but the voice messages live on forever. I do a quick search on my Facebook. 
we figure out Bill's account is no longer active. Another phone call is in order to straighten this out. Hey, Bill. Hello. I wanted to chat with you about that voicemail that we had talked about in the past. Right. Do you remember which one I'm talking about? I just talked to Jessica, so yeah. Okay, you want to tell me what really happened? Uh... I gave her some money and she took off and I was mad because she didn't come back right away and that's all I said. Do you remember who you gave the money to? Jessica. Was your dealings 100% with her? That's correct. So what did you and Jessica just talk about? Uh, pretty much just that you were calling and she said that you were gonna give me a call. Yeah. And she tell you that what was said before wasn't the truth? About me giving her a job? Yeah. Uh, she was over here working, but that wasn't, yeah. Okay, what was the reason why you told me that instead of just what you just told me? I gave her some money, I was mad, and that was pretty much all it was. She was here within an hour after I called her. That evening? That evening, yes sir. What was the address over there? My address is And this was on the 30th. Can you tell me what happened on that day? Transaction happened. She was here. She was helping me paint the house, and, and she said she was going to go into town. I gave her some money. She said she'd bring it back. And she never showed back up. Until about an hour after I made that phone call. So we do have multiple voicemails throughout that day. There were a total of three. Within, yeah, within an hour, within a half hour, probably. Did you take your Facebook page down recently? No, I just don't use it. Yeah, I couldn't find your Facebook page. Did you oh, block me? No. Not that I'm aware of. Do you still have access to it right now? I do. I'm going to try to search again, see if I can find your Facebook profile. I barely, rarely get on it, but... I told you about the encrypted message that I got. I remember that. I want to talk to you about that a little bit more. You said it was removed. It was removed right after I got off from it, and then I called Jessica right away. And the encrypted message said that you guys needed to look at a location in... In Indiana, down by the lake. That she used to live. Or down by the place where she used to live. Who's she? Is what? Jessica's daughter. Where Brittany used to live? I guess, yes, Brittany. You don't remember who this Facebook profile 
was. The name came back as somebody I didn't know. It wasn't in my friendship, and it deleted as soon as I... Because exactly. I went to, to get Jessica the name, and I couldn't find the name. Yeah, for some reason, I'm not able to find you on Facebook. Uh, should be there. In about, a, I don't know, three, four weeks. The reason why I'm coming to you is because Ashley had found that voicemail in Jessica's account. You're now, who saying, is Ashley? This is the second time I heard this name. I heard it from Jessica tonight. And I heard it from you now. Who's Ashley? She found the voicemail between you and Jessica on this night. That's the woman who provided it to me. Because Brittany's going missing around the time that you leave Jessica this voicemail, you say it, you're not going to like my next move. Minutes later, her daughter goes missing. Eyes are going to be looking I'm, at you. Right, but I'm way out here. And there's no way. <laughs> Were you alone that night? Uh, I was, I believe I was. I'm trying to think who might have been here, if my roommate might have been here or not. But it's been so long ago, I don't remember. I've never really met Brittany, I don't believe, except for when she was a baby. And that's how long your relationship dates back to with Jessica? Yes. But you never interacted with Brittany when she, as she grew older? No. You've also never had any kind of Facebook interaction conversations that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of, no. And I've got three, four hundred friends on Facebook. I was. I was on the road when I was younger as a, in a band, and this got a lot of people as friends, or acquaintances, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to revisit this one real quick, Bill. What was the reason, like, why you didn't want to tell me the truth about the whole situation? I mean... Because at the time, pot was illegal, and I gave her the money for the pot. We're talking about someone who's missing here, and, and, we're, and you're referring to... Over, I said it was a job. It was all. It was over money. I understand that, but why did you choose to lie about it? Because uh, at that time, pot was illegal. I don't know if you can come back on me on that or not. But Actually, everything else I said about everything else was true. Because I posted on pay- Facebook that I was looking for her for Brittany after she disappeared. Right. Jessica was here that that whole week. Yes, sir. She was at my house the whole week and we were putting up drywall. No, actually the drywall was up and she was going around taping the drywall and she was getting ready to paint it. From what you remember, you're saying that it was just you and Jessica during that transaction? During that day, I believe it was. It was that my roommate, Evan, She's no longer a roommate, and I don't even know how to contact him. Okay. Might have been here, but I don't know if he was or not. Who's Mark? I have no idea. She mentioned him, and I didn't know who he was. I have no idea. And when you say she mentioned him, are you referring to your phone call earlier? Yes. And what did she say about that? She said that, tell him that 
I introduced you to him and and I, I don't know no Mark. What did you say to her about that? I just kind of kind of dumbfounded on it and you called seconds after she talked to me. So you don't remember a Mark There was no Mark After you left that last voicemail, you recall Jessica arriving to your location within, within the hour. Within the hour? Yep. She was gone probably four to five hours. And when she returned, did she have the drugs? Yes. And is she alone still? Yes. We're thinking this is close to around 10 p.m. She comes back, she does have the dope. No, no, I believe it was daylight. I know it was. That last voicemail is around 8.58 p.m. Okay, so it must have been, yeah, it was summertime, wasn't it? No. Or was it when? It was spring. It was November. November, all right. Well, then, it wasn't light then. I can't remember. It's been too damn long ago. November 30th is when this t all takes place, and it's 8.58 p.m. You yeah, said... she was back within an hour. Either way, it was, I know she was. How do you know that? I told her I left her voicemail about an hour ago. I remember saying that. You know, I told her I said I was mad, just delete it. And what did she say her reason was for not coming back right away? She said the guy took longer than what she thought. And did she say who the guy was? No. She stayed there the night, and then the next morning, Somebody had called her, I believe it was the next morning. It might have been, yeah, it was definitely the next morning. Somebody called her and said that they couldn't, that Brittany didn't show up to where she was supposed to. And she said, well, she was going to call her. She tried to call her. There was no answer. And then she took off saying that she had to go find her daughter. That happened like the day after? Yeah, it was like the next afternoon. She stayed the night here that night. She stayed on my couch. She left shortly after that. And how long did Jessica work for you? Uh, she was here probably, I'm gonna say four days anyway, four, three nights, four days. It was my house, I was, I was just putting up drywall inside my own house. And that was the only time that she ever helped you or worked on your house? Yep. Never since then? No. What about before that? No. So this was the only job she, she got. Company, or she was doing her own thing, and I said, well, come on over. And that's pretty much how she, how she died. I've known her forever. Way back in 98, I'd say. thing that I'm kind of scratching my head on, how is Mark not involved at this point? Because That one, that one throws me off, too, because when she said she introduced me to Mark, she never brought nobody over here. Not that I can, not that I'm aware of. Do you have a conversation history thread with Jessica's account that you could take a look at and see if you guys talked about it back then? I can try. I don't know if that if my Google stays there. I mean, my Facebook stays that long, but I can see. I don't think I will at this point, but answer me if I do shoot you something. All right, I will. Bill came clean about lying. The reason for his previous dishonesty. He was nervous about admitting to illegal drug purchases. 
While this clears up one discrepancy, it introduces new questions. How much should we trust a testimony that has already been proven to be partially false? Bill's recounting of events seem a bit unsteady. His recollection of time frame shifts. First, it's summer, then spring, then daytime. When corrected, he says it's been so long that he struggles to remember. And given his position, that's somewhat reasonable. Memory is a fallible thing, but in high stakes situations like this, even small inconsistencies can be damning. As for the drug supplier, Mark, it's curious that Bill claims not to have known him when Jessica suggests the dealings were directly between Bill and Mark. This is something we'll be examining more closely. It's also worth noting that Ashley could potentially access the conversation thread between Jessica and Bill on Facebook, assuming she still controls Jessica's Facebook account. I would imagine Ashley's already taken these steps. She could provide us with more direct evidence, so we're not just relying on their spoken words. Bill disclosed his home address to me. Now, upon calculating the distance between his residence and the house of the elderly man, where Brittany and John dialed 911, the estimated travel time is approximately one and a half hours. According to Bill, Jessica returned to his home within an hour after he left his last voicemail. Now, considering these details, is it plausible for Bill to have returned to his home in the time frame he provided? Factor in that the weather conditions included freezing fog and temperature below freezing. To align with his account, Bill would need to reduce his travel time by 30 minutes in order to arrive at his property before Jessica. Jessica, for her part, does not claim that Bill was absent when she returned. In light of the evidence, it seems highly unlikely that Bill could have made it back to his home within the stated time frame, particularly given the adverse weather conditions. Close your eyes and imagine you've just received a digital care package from someone. It's about Brittany. You're intrigued, so you click it open, expecting a handful of files. Instead, you're met with a tidal wave of data, screenshots, video recordings, screen recordings, and endless text conversations. Now, imagine that most of those conversations involve people you've never heard of. You've stumbled into a room filled with scribbled notes and hastily recorded messages all left by strangers for some enigmatic purpose. Take a deep breath. Because it gets more confusing. As you start clicking through the files, you realize you're seeing the same screenshot or video multiple times. It's as if you're in a maze with mirrored walls, each reflection tricking you into thinking you're onto something new, only to lead you back to where you started. The sense of disorientation creeps in. As you go further, you find that someone has left their own marks on these files. Picture them taking a digital pen and then circling pieces of text, jotting down cryptic notes. These annotations pop up like riddles on your screen, puzzling you even more because they lack any clear context. 
You're given fragments, but not the full story. It's like receiving clues for a treasure hunt, but the map is missing. Open your eyes. That's what it's like trying to make sense of a digital jigsaw puzzle where pieces are missing, extras are thrown in, and you don't even have the cover to the box to guide you. You may recall in episode 33, titled Cut the Grass, where I spoke with a woman named Shasta. Shasta had been assisting Ashley and was crucial in pointing out that Ashley was in possession of Brittany's gas receipt from the fateful night she vanished. At the time of releasing episode 33, I chose not to share certain pieces of information that I believe are critical to my understanding of this complex case. What you're about to hear is a reenactment of the rest of that conversation between Shasta and Ashley that took place over Facebook Messenger. The screen recording I have of this conversation was taken by Ashley. It was one of the many files she sent me. The Facebook profile for Shasta appears to be gone. Additionally, there doesn't appear to be a profile name with which Ashley is corresponding. Ashley. But wait, I don't think any of these are her Walmart card. And her Walmart card has a transaction for $20 at Big Admiral and Sturgis in December. Shasta. Hmm, really? December 2nd or 3rd? Hold on. Whoa. It's her fucking card, huh? No, I don't think so. Different times. But look, when I log into the app, no transactions. And wanting her to activate her permanent card. When you buy a Walmart card at Walmart, there's a card in the package that you can use immediately upon purchase. You register it, set up your account, and then you're mailed your actual card with your name on it and everything. Your permanent card's number is different than the one on your temporary card purchased at the store. Oh my fucking gosh. Stop, wait. You ready? Look, it's her card. So, this means whoever was in my vehicle at some point had that card. Yep, the day she vanished, she got fucking gas. Had to have been with her, but none of that will matter considering she wasn't missing yet, unless I can find that one dated in December. Now this is going to be damning for Jess, because original reports say the only things missing were Britt's phone and wallet, which I can prove. Prove were not missing and were taken by Jessica. So do you know who was in your car? Why the fuck wasn't the surveillance video from the gas station pulled? No, because I rarely went anywhere. Agoraphobic. I mean, like, take kids to school, trip to my guy in Kazoo, work, Kroger, those are my trips. Other than that, and I took the same route every time. I was the only one with a vehicle, though, so everybody always wanted or needed rides. I let people use it all the time. Not everyone, just a few. But there's no telling who they had in it. Fuck. Eric would take Britt to work. Pocket took her a couple times. Did you have your car the night she disappeared? Give me a few. We both know my memory is a pretty incredible thing. Let me ponder on November and see if I can conjure up enough to get me to the 30th. Okay, perfect. I had to go eat dinner, then argue with Jason, so obviously not anywhere that I can focus like I need to, but I've been thinking about that time period a lot, trying to see what all I can remember. Wouldn't have been JJ, because I never even met him until after Britt went missing. 
Larry ended up moving out of my place in like July, so not him either. Kaner was gone before Larry, so not him either. The only ones using my vehicle at the time Britt went missing was Pocket and Eric. But that doesn't necessarily mean that receipt wasn't in a pocket or a bag or a purse or something that entered my car after she went missing. Hmm. So Eric, huh? Well, he's kind of a suspect because he's a husband at the time, so I don't know. That's just ironic. Because I found cigarette butts, too. Same kind that were in my ashtray after Jess was at my house. Ever since I found it, I knew it had to be one of Brits. I knew there was a way to prove it. I never saw the store numbers because one starts with zeros, so I overlooked it every time. Yeah, I mean, ironic that someone put that in your car. Think about it, Ash. Someone's trying to frame you, like you said all along. I've been Eric's alibi from Jump. He was at my house. He started staying with me. It wasn't until last year I really started to think about and replay the events of these few days. I went from being positive and saying, yeah, he was with me at my house without a second thought to, I'm not so sure he was there. I had a tracker on my car, but it was thrown out by JJ. Asshole. I have no way to log in and check records though, which is shit. At least I'm like 90% sure I don't. Because I'd have it all saved somewhere already if I did. I'll go check again though and see if I can come up with anything. I don't think the receipt was put in my car. I think when they were cleaning it out, all of my valuables, that it was dropped or already in the garbage because it was legit garbage, like coffee filters, food, like kitchen shit. It was brought to the car to either take somewhere or to use for cleaning the car out. But I'm thinking it was in there because the original plan was probably to set my Ford on fire. Jeez. So everything in there would have gone up too. That's JJ's MO. I have paperwork on JJ. I told you this, right? No. He even admitted in one of the reports to setting fire to a vehicle. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but arson is a felony, is it not? Yes, arson is a felony. I took pictures of every piece. Hold on. I'll add you to that folder. John didn't say anyone else set the vehicle on fire. He told the cop that he set it on fire. So, since JJ was in there and he stole it, he cleaned it out, but left two trash bags. That tells me it was all supposed to be gotten rid of. A woman's wallet, a small-chested woman's bra. Shit like that was in there, too. Um, really? I saved that shit, but along with everything else, it's all gone. The wallet looked like Rupley's. Her high school ID was in it, dad's credit card. Rupley. What's Rupley? Rupley's I haven't figured out yet. Link to JJ somehow, though. Ashley narrows down the last people using her vehicle. She points her finger at a few different individuals. Taking the number one spot, though, is JJ. She points her finger at him the most, then turns around and eliminates him immediately. She doesn't meet JJ until December 23, 2018. Odd though, that puts a timestamp on when she discovered Brittany's gas receipt. Running a close second is Zach Kaner. She eliminates him and she also eliminates Larry. She's narrowed it down to just two people, Eric S. 
and Polly Pocket. We know that Pocket was arrested on November 29th, 2018. This means that there's only one left standing now. Is Eric S. These are your words. Ashley eliminates JJ because she doesn't meet him until December 23rd, 2018. Now, in my opinion, that statement puts a timestamp on when she discovered Britney's receipt, which includes the relationships she developed at the time of discovering the receipt. Let me break things down to clarify. Ashley's conflicting testimonies regarding the receipt give us cause for pause. Let's start with the discovery of the receipt. When she finds the receipt belonging to Brittany, this prompts her to consider who may have had access to her vehicle in order to place the receipt there. She shares names of a few people she rules out because they no longer resided with her. This is in reference to Larry and Zach Kaner. Then there's the introduction of JJ. Ashley first says that JJ could not be a suspect because she didn't know him until December 23rd, 2018. In my opinion, this implies the discovery of the receipt and the photo she took of it occurred between November 30th and December 23rd, 2018. In a separate testimony, Ashley accuses JJ of being the one who put the receipt in her vehicle. This statement directly contradicts her prior assertion that JJ couldn't be the responsible party because she didn't know him until December 23rd, 2018. The discrepancy in the timeline comes when Ashley claims she found and photographed the receipt in February of 2019. This isn't consistent with her earlier elimination of JJ as a suspect that places the discovery of the receipt and photo prior to December 23rd, 2018. Given all that information, there appears to be a glaring inconsistency in her testimony, which makes it extremely challenging to establish a credible timeline regarding the receipt. In our opinion, the receipt is evidence, and this should certainly be a point of focus in any investigation. Once Ashley knows she has the receipt and acknowledges the person holding the receipt had been in her vehicle, it makes us wonder why she wouldn't have checked her GPS tracking device to see the history of her vehicle. Ashley claims she couldn't look at her Spark GPS because JJ removed it from her vehicle. Even with JJ disengaging the Spark device, Ashley still had the option to access her online Spark account to trace the vehicle's location. The absence of the physical device shouldn't have been a hurdle. Otherwise, it would undermine the fundamental purpose of the Spark device. If Ashley had Eric's Google location history in 2018, as it appears she does today, then there's no reason she would have told me and others that she didn't know if Eric was with her the night of November 30th. The enigma that lingers in this, why did Ashley's camera shy away from capturing the rest of the refuses secrets? Could it be that Ashley didn't think these items were pertinent? It would be logical, after all, why document what appears to be random trash? Yet, what if she considered them to be significant? Take the receipt, for instance, which she kept on the off chance it was Brittany's. What thing can be said about the other items Ashley preserved? A petite-sized bra, a student ID, and her father's credit card. When hearing this, if you're wondering if Ashley is referring to Brittany's personal belongings or a different female, pull up a chair. I threw the question out for Sarah and I to discuss. When Ashley writes, 
her student ID, and dad's credit card. Is it possible that Ashley could be implicating a woman other than Brittany? Or could it have been the female JJ was with? After some deliberation, we agreed. The evidence that Ashley chose to preserve from the discarded bags, a receipt, a small size bra, her student ID, father's credit card, and her wallet, was too specific to Brittany's case to imply anyone else. At this point in time in our investigation, Skylar's vanished. He's nowhere to be found. And he's no longer taking my calls. So if he's walking around a free man, I'd like to continue our conversation in person, along with the other involved parties. If Skylar's testimony holds water, I aim to visit the exact location where Brittany was allegedly taken. Would you like to show your support for the Hide and Seek podcast? Find our Instagram and Facebook page by searching Hide and Seek Podcast. Like and follow to hear updates on past seasons as they become available and stay up to date on season three. Find our discussion group by searching Hide and Seek Discussion Group on Facebook. The Hide and Seek Podcast is hosted, directed, edited, and produced by James Basinger. Written, edited, and produced by Sarah Joe. Engineered, mixed, and mastered by Nudon's Audio Engineering. Director of Photography is Ethan Schatz. Our graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson. A special thanks to all those involved in our ground team and to our Patreon supporters. Thank you for helping make our investigations possible.